So John chapter 17, that's what we're going to spend some time in this morning. And this is a great chapter that really reveals Jesus' hearts and desires to us. I mean, so much of his life does, doesn't it? We can see what he loves, what he desires, but this is what he's praying for. So if you'd like to have a title, that's the title for this morning. This is what Jesus is praying for. There are three things, but before we get into that, Jesus mentions in the prayer, in, his, in the first verse, he talks about the hour has come. That's encouraging for us this morning, because the hour for Jesus meant the hour when darkness reigned. It's wonderful to know that even at times when darkness seems to be reigning in our land, these things are under our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ's rule and command. Nothing is happening outside of his great plan and purpose. We can trust our Father in heaven. That's encouraging as we look back over the last 18 months. Maybe particularly encouraging for something you're facing this coming week or will face. Jesus looking into the hour when darkness was going to reign, because that's how he described it when he was arrested in the garden. Knew this wasn't anything that was happening out of God's plan and purpose. It was all happening exactly to Scripture. So that's just something to mention before we, we get into this. And then one other thing. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus, who's sat around the table with his disciples, he's talked to them about the fact that he was going to be betrayed. He's talked to them about the fact that one of them would deny him. He knows what's going to happen to him. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be ill-treated. And he knows all that that brings with it, the shame Think about how distracted you can be. And I don't say that insultingly, I'm part of the you. When something's looming, it's on your mind all the time. And yet, with all of that weighing upon Jesus, he prays for his people. What a heart the Lord Jesus Christ has for us this morning. And so we can take heart from that. So let's get into these three things. The first one, what is Jesus praying for? Glory. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. What do you think of that this morning? I guess many of you here this morning have read these verses many, many, many times. Maybe some of you are reading them for the first time. And here's a man lifting up his eyes towards heaven and saying, glorify me. What do you make of that? Do you think, well, that's a, that's a bit of a selfish prayer. I like football. There's some people who would perhaps say that that's sinful. I should like other sports. But... I think in North Wales, football seems to be pushing out rugby. But I like football. And sometimes in football, there can be a, a player that they're a long way out. And perhaps they've got the option of passing. 
But maybe they, they, they see the, the glory that will come to their name and the headlines if they take a long shot. That's not the kind of self-glory that Jesus is praying for here. He, he is praying for his glory. But it's a glory that is for the good of all creation, for all of his people, a glory that will be shared. This isn't some selfish claim. Jesus is praying for glory. And those specific words, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. Your Son. It takes us back to the Old Testament, particularly to some verses, or one verse, that's in the second psalm. And in that psalm, words are spoken of the Son of God, this man who's praying this prayer, Jesus Christ, you are my Son. Today, I have begotten you. Now, there's a couple of times in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism when he goes up onto the mountain and his appearance changes. He shines, transfigured, his clothes white. Where the voice speaks from heaven This is my son. The beloved, my son whom I love. And here's Jesus praying to his father, glorify your son. He's taking hold of all of the promises that have been given right the way through the pages of the Bible about him. That day where the Father will, will say of him, you are my son. And if you go on in that psalm, there's a promise given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. So as Jesus prays this prayer, all of these things are on his mind. How is he glorified? How is Jesus glorified today? Well, he's being glorified in this church because we've just been singing glory, glory, everlasting. That verse was quoted from 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's people throughout the nations today giving glory to his name. This prayer has been answered. But the root to that glory is, as Jesus says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Think about that work that Jesus had to finish. Again, all the details that are written throughout the pages of the Bible 
What did it mean for Jesus to finish the work? It meant that there was going to be a day when people were going to bargain over his clothes. They were going to cast lots for his clothing. He was going to be dressed and undressed and shamefully treated. He was going to become a curse before his Father in heaven by being hung upon a tree. He was going to be betrayed. Just that little detail that's recorded in in the Psalms about Jesus thirsting. Crucifixion, such a cruel death and how it must have brought thirst on. And that's there. But there's an even bigger thirst going on there. As the Son is forsaken, being punished. That's the route to the glory for the Lord Jesus Christ. Reading through Psalm 22. And all of the horror of people attacking Jesus, knowing that people were going to call into question, if you are the Son of God. Jesus prays, glorify your Son in the face of knowing that finishing the work for him means looking like anything but the Son of God as he suffers the wrath and judgment of God as he becomes the bearer of our sin. He becomes the the refuse of the earth. And in the cross, we see the glory of God in giving his Son. We see the glory of the Son in being willing to obey and die for us sinners, the humility of it all. But he's raised from the dead, isn't he? And he appears to people. And in that, his prayer is answered. Because that's like God taking hold of a great big megaphone and shouting out to us, this is my son, as he comes out of the tomb bodily and appears to people. And then he ascended into heaven. And when Jesus entered into heaven, he doesn't sneak in. He's given that seat of all honour and status and influence there at the right hand of the Father. Having earned it through his obedience upon the cross. And he, he claims that promise as the Son and the Holy Spirit was given to equip the church 
to take this good news of Jesus to the nations. So we have this explosion of good news gospel work from Jerusalem. This prayer is answered on the day of Pentecost when suddenly a whole load of Jews realise we killed the Messiah. And they become worshippers of Jesus. And the same thing happened in Samaria. The same thing happened in Antioch. And the same things happened in Wales. And throughout the world. But even that doesn't fully answer Jesus' prayer. Because for many people, he's just a nobody, somebody who died. For some, some of the people, they, they died still mocking him and gloating over the fact that they had put to death this cursed man. But there's going to come a day where, in a sense, it's as if Jesus is going to say, well, the hour has come. And he's going to appear in the, the, the way of transport that God uses, coming on the clouds. I don't know how often you think about that, the fact that one day, with your eyes, physically, you are going to see Jesus Christ. And the brightness of it, and the sound that will accompany it will be beyond anything we've ever experienced with our eyes and our ears. One of the, the greatest marvels, and this is almost a bit of an aside when I think about that day, is the wonderful work God must have to do in us so that we don't just die at the sight of Jesus Christ in all his glory, that we're going to be overjoyed to see him. What a work he must do in us as he prepares us for that day. But he'll come. And everybody in Cardiff who has ever lived in Cardiff and ever will live in Cardiff, on that day will fall on their knees and they will proclaim that he is Lord. And not just Cardiff people, people in Swansea, people in Deeside where I'm from, people throughout the world, every person who's ever lived. So when Jesus prays, glorify your son, that's a big deal, isn't it? I don't think I've quite gone far enough, actually, because not just every person, but all the birds, the dogs, the trees, everything's going to join in that great chorus, bringing glory to the Son and to the Father on that day. And verses 22 and 24 of this prayer tell us that he shares that glory with his people so we'll be part of it is this Lord Jesus Christ your saviour this morning do you know him do you trust in him 
Do you know something of that glory? Do you worship him? Before we move on to the second thing, just one other thing on this glory. What is Jesus using that glory which he has for today? As he sits in that position of all authority, a position of where the Father is delighting in him, position of influence at the right hand. What's he using that glorious position for? He's using it to pray for his people, to intercede for them on their behalf, to pray that we would be given all the things that are necessary for us day by day, to live for him and to bring us to that final completion. So what's Jesus praying for? Glory. The second thing, protection. It's interesting in verse 14, he talks about the world hating Christians Because they're not of the world, Jesus says, just as I'm not of the world. I don't know what you think about those verses. They're they're really a comfort, aren't they? Because what Jesus is saying is that you belong to me, then you're a citizen not of this decaying world, but of the heavenly city. You belong to me. That must have been a great encouragement for the disciples whom Jesus prayed for. Because shortly after praying this, they were all going to desert Jesus. One of them was going to deny Jesus, and yet he had prayed and told them explicitly, you're not of this world You're mine. That must have been a heart and an encouragement. May that be an encouragement to to us today. But I think one of the things that's interesting about the Lord Jesus Christ's prayer when he talks about the world hating us because it hated him is what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray, Father, may the world love them even though the world hated me, may the world love them. He doesn't pray, take them out of the world so they can escape this persecution. He doesn't pray for the persecution to the end. What he prays is that we would be protected from the evil one. And we need that. A few chapters earlier, Jesus has talked about how Christians are branches of the vine. Jesus Christ being this true vine. We belong to him and life 
flows from him by the Holy Spirit to us. And you're to be fruitful. Well, what does that fruit look like? Being part of this vine, so kind of imagine a vine covered in all sorts of lovely, juicy fruit. Well, what does that juicy fruit look like? We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's back to what we were talking about earlier. Forgiveness, joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. But you live like that. Like Jesus. And there's going to be people that hate that. Angry people come along angry about something and what do they want you to be? They want you to join with them in their anger. Gossip. They want you to join in their gossip. Their annoyance, their frustration, maybe it's drunkenness. And you don't do that. People are going to get annoyed. They're going to hate you. They're going to dislike you. Some will be drawn to you and see that that's why this Jesus has got something about him and I want to know him, but many won't. Jesus prays, protect them in that. Jesus talks about in verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus set apart, on a mission, set apart, holy, sinless, in order to die, to set his people apart, so that they will go out and make him known. And in turn, others will then be set apart we're perhaps thinking, well, I can keep my head down and have an easy life, then really we're, we're, go, we're going against what Jesus prays here. We're part of this mission. He was set apart, put to death, in order to set his people apart, apart for mission. Glory, protection. The third thing is unity. It's very striking in these last probably six or seven verses of the chapter, but it comes out elsewhere as well. Verse 21, he prays that they all may be one. Just to perhaps give a bit of background to this, I've already mentioned chapter 15 and the vine and the branches, but chapter 15 and verse 9 is probably one of the best verses in the Bible. I don't know if we can talk about best verses, but hopefully you'll, you'll forgive me for that. But this, this, is, this is tremendous. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Maybe sometime this week, 
Spend a bit of time thinking about that verse. And ask the question, how has the Father loved Jesus? There's never been a time, if we can speak about time and eternity, there's never been a time when the Father didn't love the Son. And the depth and the width and the height and the nature of the love of the Father for the Son that has always existed and never lessened for a moment. And Jesus says, that's the way I have loved you. So I'd encourage you through the days of this week to just maybe take some time out and just think about that. The love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for his people, he likens to the love that the Father has for him. How secure are we in the Lord Jesus Christ? And in many ways, John chapter 17 repeats that, but then broadens it a bit. Because what he says is that the relationship that you have to one another as Christians should really mirror the relationship that there is between the Father and the Son. And think about how close and united and one in purpose and loving the relationship is between the Father and the Son. And Jesus prays that that would be the relationship that exists between fellow Christians. Now that's very searching and challenging. And we need his help in order to do that. But just think about that practically. When we go after our own wants and desires in church life, and sadly so often it's about things that aren't really essential things to do with the gospel. And that leads to disunity and falling out. Then what we're doing is we're teaching well, we're not really teaching in our practice the right things about what God is like. Because Jesus prays about the fact that our relationship is to show what God is like, the relationship between the Father and the Son. To bring this perhaps into, well, that's sort of church life, about home life and family life. There's a, there's a verse that's perhaps related to this, Psalm 103. It talks about, as a father has compassion on his children. And relates that to God's compassion for us. If in your conduct, consistently, you're not compassionate with your children, then actually you're giving your children a massive issue every time they read that verse. You're teaching them wrong things about the character of God by your conduct. These things are very searching. 
You're giving them a hurdle to overcome. Well, how do I weigh that up? Because a lot of the time, my dad isn't compassionate. So what does that mean, Psalm 103? So how we behave, family life, church life, together, matters. Because Jesus is praying, that's how people see what God is like. And all the way through the Bible, we have this theme. It comes up in the prophets, it comes up in the Psalms. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We can list all sorts of sacrifices, things we've served in in the church. And that's good. But actually what the Bible teaches is that our behaviour, our attitude, how we do things, that takes priority. How we need the life-giving work of the Lord Jesus Christ by his Spirit to bring about this unity in church life that the world may know and believe. As we close, we're brought into this, this love that comes out in John 17 and John 15. I've already referred to it, but there's this Love, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. The Father loves us, the Son loves us. We love the Father, we love the Son. There's this six-way love that we're brought into as Christians. Do you know that love this morning? Maybe some of the things I've been talking about, are, they're alien. Maybe you think, well, I'd love to know the love of the Father and the Son. You need to trust in this Lord Jesus. To know that forgiveness of sin that only he can give. Verse 6 is a great verse. And almost say this just in passing as we close the last part of it, Jesus praying for, specifically for the disciples there, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. That last sentence, they've kept your word. They're all going to desert him. His love for us. We're seen. He doesn't look at us and pick out our faults. We're seen as those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're seen as in him. How kindly our God speaks of us. You belong to Jesus this morning and you might see yourself, well, I'm this struggling, failing Christian who keeps stumbling, who keeps falling. What does Jesus say? He looks at you and says, you're somebody who's kept my word. It's remarkable, isn't it? What a gracious God he is. I'm just going to finish with verse 24, because this verse sums up the heart's desire of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is praying for. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me 
may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' heart's desire that we would keep going. The work in us would be finished. And one day we will be with Jesus physically looking upon him, knowing him, enjoying him, sharing in his glory. And so this is an encouragement to us this morning as we think about Jesus and his desire to keep on, to keep going. We're going to sing as we close, Jesus the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.